Welcome to the Armor Men's Health Show with Dr. Mystery and Donna Lee. Hello and welcome to the Armor Men's Health Show. This is Dr. Mystery, your host, board-certified urologist, host of this show for almost three years now, joined by my co-host, Donna Lee. That's right. Welcome, everybody. Um, have you heard our podcast? We have over 122,000 downloads. I'm glad that you remembered that number. I just memorized it yesterday. How many times have you downloaded it? I download it all the time. 121,000. That's exactly right. Thank you for our 1,000 downloaders <laughs> and our listeners, especially those two of you in South Korea that listen. That's right. I really love that. We, we paid them, but they're good. <laughs> they're they don't good. understand a word we said, but, <laughs> but they know. I hope they don't get laid off from the recent Google layout. Off, so oh, we'll true. try to keep them keep them on board. <laughs> this is a men's health show. The show is brought to you by the uh, urology practice that I put together in 2007, NAU Urology Specialists. Uh, Donna, how do people become patient of ours? You can reach out to us at 512-238-0762. Our website for this show and our amazing services, armormenshealth.com. You can see Dr. Mystery's smiling face there. And you can call us again, 512-238-0762. We're in Round Rock, Dripping Springs, South Austin, and North Austin in Texas, if you're listening on the other side of the world, like our guest. So uh, we are joined today by uh, a urologist who I uh, first encountered uh, when he was a fellow at Baylor College of Medicine. For those of you that uh, are regular listeners, you know that Baylor College of Medicine is the finest institution both to train <laughs> uh, physicians and to train uh, future uh, urologists. Dr. Kenneth Kernan, thank you so much for joining us today, Ken. Hey, thanks so much for being on. I, I'm really glad to be here. Why don't you tell us where you're at and what do you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm in Michigan where it's, you know, 20 degrees and cold and snowy like it always is up here. Oh. Not warm where you guys are. Yeah. And uh, I'm a... Uh, a urologist who primarily specializes in oncology. Um, I'm in a big group called the Michigan Institute of Urology. We're about 50 partners or 50 doctors with some physician extenders. And I also run research for our group. University of Michigan also has the second best football team in Texas. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I don't know anything about University of Michigan. I'm a Sparty, so go Spartans, go green, go white. <laughs> awesome. And so, uh, you know, you, you deal with a lot of urologic issues, and uh, enlarged prostate is one issue that we deal with quite frequently. Uh, and I think most people are uh, familiar with the fact that medications are a very common way that we deal with it. In our practice, we try to deal with some behavioral and supplement kind of approaches. Why don't you tell me, what is your first line or second line approach to enlarged prostate? State. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is is exactly what you said. Most men initially, first of all, they may be embarrassed to talk about it, right? So they just think, oh, this is what happens to me as I get older. I'm just going to live with it. And I think part of what you're doing, which is so great, is actually educating people that, hey, if this is a problem, we have lots of ways to fix it. You don't have to just live with it and put up with it. So a lot of that first discussion is, hey, you came to see us. How much does this really bother you? Um, and if it does bother you, let's do some testing to see what's going on, and then obviously we offer 10 off first-line therapy, like some medications that kind of opens the prostate up, or as we joke with the guys, opens the donut hole up so they can urinate a little bit better. And then that second-line therapy may be something 
like one of those medications that actually shrinks down the prostate. So and then I'd, we go right into talking about some other options. So I'd like to talk about a little bit just about those medicines that shrink the prostate. These are going to be medicines like finasteride and dutasteride. In my practice, I don't use it virtually at all. I feel like the risk of sexual side effects and I just hate the hormonal manipulation that's happening, but not all urologists have the same opinion. What is your own opinion of the use of finasteride and dutasteride and what kinds of patients do you uh, use that medicine in? Yeah, right. That's a really good point. I think you have to be careful because, you know, there is that risk of sexual side effects, erectile dysfunction, loss of libido, which obviously that's one of the first questions is, hey, how, how important is that still to your life? And if the answer is, hey, that's still really important, then again, like you, I would shy away from that. Um, you know, obviously I have a older, a little bit older practice sometimes just because there's a bunch of old guys up here um, that are coming to see us. And I think it's not quite as critical for them. Um, so we do offer that as a uh, an option, but anybody who's still really sexually active, I, I'm like you, I shy away from it for that reason. My favorite patient is the 80-year-old that's coming to me because he's wondering why he lost his erection. So, uh, so in terms of that kind of concern, even for the old guys, we're kind of in it to win it. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the standard medications, those are called alpha blockers. There are three that we use very commonly, psilidocin, tamsulosin, and alfuzosin. There are some older ones that are still on the market. What are some of the side effects of these medicines that you traditionally tell people that they can expect when they use it? Right, so that's a good point as well, is there are some side effects even with those medications. Um, you know, one of the things we worry about is, you know, they can have a little bit of dizziness or they can kind of drop their blood pressure. Obviously, retrograde ejaculation, some sexual side effects with that or with, with any of those three. I personally tend to lean towards alfuzosin because of the uh, decreased risk of retrograde ejaculation, even though I joke with my patients that unless you're making movies or making babies, it shouldn't be a big deal. Um, it does bother some people. So uh, I tend to use alfuzosin first just because of the retrograde ejaculation. Now, uh, when, it, when it comes to explaining what retrograde ejaculation is, number one, I think all urologists use the same analogies to explain why it's not that important. But in 20 years ago, I never would have thought I would have had so many conversations about somebody coming. But if, <laughs> if, you, were to, if you were to explain to somebody what they can look for and why it's such a big deal to some people, what do you usually tell people? Well, again, my standard joke is unless you're making babies or making movies, I don't know why it's a big deal, but it does bother some people, I would assume, for a variety of reasons. So we tell them, look, when you have an orgasm, instead of the ejaculate coming out like you normally was, it just goes into your bladder and you'll urinate that out later. I think in some men, psychologically, it bothers them. Honestly, sometimes it bothers their partners. Again, some, some men say it does change the sensation a little bit. So I mean, isn't that the truth? Sometimes their partners are bothered by the fact that they didn't orgasm as if a man was somehow faking it. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like the old Kramer episode in uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but recently we've seen more and more uh, data about the long-term negative impacts of these medications, including some cognitive impacts, maybe the long-term kind of fatigue. And I I think it's true. I think that men that stop their alpha blockers sometimes feel better because maybe their blood pressure was reduced a little bit. What What do you think about that? Yeah, we, we definitely have seen that as well. The other thing that we have, especially if sometimes these are guys who are still really sexually active, we will lean towards giving them low-dose Tadalafil on a daily basis, and that sometimes will help them as well. It doesn't obviously work quite as well as, as some of the, alpha, the true alpha blockers, but 
that's a way to kind of skirt that issue a little bit. So that's going to be um, like five milligrams of Cialis they use every day. It'll give them both some benefit on the urinary side as well as rock hard or rock star erections. And that's something that we really encourage in a lot of our patients. And yeah, the, I mean, it's the ultimate guide drug, right? Helps your erections, help you urinate better. And if it just would help my golf game, it would be something that they probably put in the water. So, it, <laughs> so when it comes to surgery, we've had the traditional TURP where we use an electrified metal loop to cut the tissue. What are some common side effects that with that treatment that patients kind of were scared of and are, you know, we'd like to avoid? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, technology has gotten better across the board, even in those standard transurethral resection or TURP, terp procedures. But, you know, when people go on the interwebs and they go to Dr. Google, you know, they're looking at old technology. They think they're going to get some roto-rooter and they're going to have a catheter and be in the hospital for days and things like that. But, you know, whether we're using a laser or an electrified loop or electrified button, we basically are coring out that middle of the prostate like coring out an apple or making that donut hole bigger for patients. Um, so obviously there's retrograde ejaculation, there's bleeding, there's potential for infections, all those things that go along with with any of those those procedures. So, um, you know, in an effort to um, kind of reduce the, the likelihood of those side effects, uh, there's been a lot of interest in technological revolutions to kind of reduce the risk of bleeding or retrograde ejaculation or uh, other potential side effects. But if your doctor were to recommend a standard TURP, how afraid should patients be that uh, they're going to suffer some kind of bad complication? You know, for, for me anyway, I actually use a button. So I'll do a loop and then a button. So when we're done, we actually take that bipolar button and basically seal the entire cavity or fossa. So we actually do all of our patients now as an outpatient. So they, they all go home the same day. You normally just have a catheter overnight. So that to me has been a great benefit or improvement from a technological standpoint. The downside is though, they're still going to have retrograde ejaculation. They're still going to potentially have some sexual side effects with it. So we haven't, we haven't, we haven't skirted that problem, but from the significant bleeding standpoint, I think that bipolar technology has really made some great strides. So the, the kind of horror stories that even though 99% of people will have a perfect experience, the one horror story he'll tell everybody, which is that he had to go back into the hospital because of bleeding or had to have prolonged catheterizations, those stories are becoming less and less common. Correct. Right. Like anything. I mean, again, when they go to they go to Dr. Google, they're going to find those horror stories a lot easier than they're going to find the, the modern technology that what we're doing. But yeah, I mean, everybody worries about that. But but frankly, we just don't see it very often. But but I do think there may be a fair amount of urologists out there still doing monopolar terps, you know, like they did back in the day, you know, until so they're getting, you know, hyponatremia and winding up in the ICU and all that crazy stuff. But Hopefully there aren't too many urologists doing uh, doing monopolar terps. Excellent. We'll be right All back. Right, thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Armor Men's Health Show. I'm Dr. Mystery, your host, joined always with my co-host, Donna Lee. That's right. Happy day, everybody. Welcome to the show. Many of you may not know, but Donna Lee is a professional comedian. And we can't wait for her to get back to the stage. Mm, yeah. Okay. Is it going to happen anytime soon? I don't know. The local group got bought out by a national group, the comedy club. Yeah. I don't know anybody at the national group, but I had my friends at the local club. So I'll put a word in. And Joe Rogan, I'm sure you're an avid That's listener. Right. Maybe you could put a word in too for us. You can visit my TikTok page. It's Donna Lee Happy. That's my handle, Donna Lee Happy. I'm doing my jokes on my TikTok page. Very good. Please do not <laughs> visit our TikTok overlords. The you Chinese have, have enough information on you us You have your already. own TikTok. It is mystery doc on TikTok. 
We are joined again by Dr. Kenneth Kernan. Uh, he is a urologist in Michigan, and uh, he and I crossed paths when he was a fellow at Baylor College of Medicine, the finest university. In the, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and we just had a segment earlier on enlarged prostate, use of medication, and traditional therapies. But uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today, Kenneth, is to talk about some new and exciting technology when it comes to BPH. Why don't you set the stage for us and tell us why was something needed new in the first place. Good question. I think, you know, like anything, men have worries about having their prostate treated, whether it's, you know, infections, bleeding, sexual side effects, which I think is probably the most important concern for most of these guys is they want to make sure that everything still works when they're done. They want to be able to urinate better, but minimize any risk of sexual side effects. So again, I think that's where that that almost reverse engineering of, hey, if we found the perfect thing, how do we how do we how do we have no sexual side effects? How do we make people urinate better and then then make it work? And that's kind of where we are today with some new technology. So if you were to kind of like define for both doctors and patients, what would be the perfect set of things that could occur for an enlarged prostate? We would have something that is quick. We'd have something that's painless. We'd have something with no sexual side effects. We would have something that has no catheter and we would have something that's permanent. And I think that those would be kind of the, the things. And, and there's no solution that's perfect. Unfortunately, that's taken them all or else we'd only have one solution. Uh, the sexual side effect component of it, which is the dry ejaculation that can occur, is something that has been a bigger issue for patients than I ever thought would be for them. Now, so when it comes to this newer technology that we're going to talk about, what are some of the main highlights that it hits? What are some of the problems that it solves? Honestly, other than discomfort, I think it solves all those problems you mentioned, right? So these new procedures are, are very quick. They're very simple. They minimize the risk of bleeding, infection. You don't have to have a catheter uh, and really no sexual side effects, whether it's dry ejaculation or any erectile dysfunction, which again is rare during a standard prostate resection, but is, it's not zero. So when you're talking about this new technology, why don't you introduce it and tell us what it is? Sure. So it's really called, it's, it's called the ITIND, I-T-I-N-D. It's from Olympus. It's a non-permanent implant that we put in when, when the patient either has some light sedation or some local gel that's put into the urethra. It has rapid symptom relief. It stays in their prostate for about five days. Um, it opens their prostate up significantly. They don't need to have a catheter. We take it out in the office five to seven days later. They immediately urinate better and they have zero sexual side effects. The only, the only thing that we miss a little bit is it's a little bit uncomfortable, but not terrible. So if you were to kind of, because I'd like to hear your explanation, then I'll tell people what I explain to people as I tell them, and then maybe you'll start using mine, uh, although I'll charge you a royalty. So how, how do you describe like what the technology is and what it looks like and feels like deployed to your patients? Yeah, I actually, uh, since I put the first ones in in the country, I have a couple laying around my office. So I break that thing out and I show people, but I tell them it's almost like a Mercedes-Benz 3D image that we're putting in your prostatic fossa. And over those five to seven days, it actually expands in all three of those directions, makes permanent incisions in the prostate gland and remodels the prostate gland. And then we compress that and take that out. And it's, it's like a, it's a nitinol wire. Well, that's good. And so what I explain to people that it's it's like an expandable scaffolding that we put into the donut hole and it pushes the walls out in a way. And if it stays there for five days, the little grooves that it makes because of the scaffolding are actually 
kind of bit into the tissue and it creates these grooves that you can urinate from. And this is a fascinating, it utilizes a fascinating component of biologic tissue called pressure necrosis. And uh, th that is where if you, really any part of the body biologically, if you push hard enough for long enough, the tissue dies underneath and that you get an indentation. And so that's a very neat part of the process. What are some of the kind of obvious benefits you get from using pressure necrosis over an incision to do this? Right. So great question. I think the big benefits is number one, very minimal, if not no bleeding. That to me is the biggest one. Because it's such a gradual process, the discomfort level is very minimal. So it's it's not like a terp or a resection where they're going to have a little bit more discomfort. So, and the other thing is because it's gradual, it doesn't create a ton of inflammation. So they also don't need a catheter. So I think that's a big thing for our patients as well. We can do this procedure for patients without a catheter. That's one of the things that they worry about almost as equally or maybe a little bit more than sexual side effects. That's right. I mean, men are really afraid of having that thing shoved in their, uh, in their penis. So when it comes to this type of eye-tinned device, uh, you guys are doing it in the office? We, you know, a lot of things, as you know, are sometimes dictated by carriers and insurance companies, right? We always joke that we have equal enemies, patients and doctors, which is the insurance companies. <laughs> so we're always kind of fighting that battle. Um, so it is, I think it's very amenable to be done in the office right now. From a reimbursement standpoint, it's not perfect. Um, so we're normally putting these in in our surgery center. But I think as as the carriers and the government gets on board with how great this device is, they're going to encourage us to be doing this uh, in the office because we can do it with a flexible cystoscope or a flexible telescope. So tell me, who are the ideal patients for the ITIN device, which is provided as a service here in Austin and in multiple places around the country? You can go to the website. Do you, do you know the website off chance? Uh, you can actually just go to ITIN.com. Okay, so ITIN.com will have like a like a way to look for uh, providers. Or Olympus.com, I'm sorry. They, they also have it. Okay. In terms of the type of patient that's a good candidate and one that's a bad candidate for the ITIN, why don't you go through that? Sure. So obviously, um, it's intended for those patients who have urinary obstructive symptoms. Um, those symptoms obviously should be bothersome to the patient. But from a from a perfect kind of candidate, I always joke that if this is interesting to you as a patient, you know we have to measure you like measuring you for a suit, right? So we wouldn't put on the same suit as you, me, and Donna. We'd we'd have to measure them to make us look good, right? So we say well, you need a couple things. We get them a prostate ultrasound. We do a flow test. We look in their bladder, and that ideal candidate has a prostate somewhere from 20 to up to 75 grams, no median lobe or no part of their prostate that's sticking up into the middle of the donut. And, and they shouldn't have a neurogenic bladder, meaning their bladder should function normally. That's really the, the, the perfect candidate. So you want somebody that has a bladder that's strong enough to pee. Correct. You, you want somebody that has a more traditional growth pattern of the prostate where the lobes are squeezing from the sides. What about use of blood thinners? Is that something that precludes you from getting this procedure? I don't think so at all. In, in fact, because of the pressure necrosis and the and the no incisions, we have done a couple of patients who really couldn't be off blood thinners for for an extended period of time. And sometimes we'll come across that somebody who recently had a cardiac stent or has a high bleeding risk due to blood clots in their legs, you know, we are going to be reticent to do uh, something that may cause a lot of bleeding. In terms of the longevity of these procedures, how do you counsel patients and what have the studies shown? So it's interesting. There's a couple other reasonably good, minimally invasive, quote, competitors out there. One uses steam. 
Um, one uses a stapling device that pushes the prostate open. That data is all, if you compare all their data at three to four years, it's all really good. It, it compares favorably with a traditional resection of the prostate. We just don't have a lot of data past that three or four year mark because it just doesn't exist because those procedures haven't been out there that much. But if you look at the other two other competitors, ITIN actually leads the category from um, changes in IPSS score, which is the symptom score that patients have. It leads the, the pack in flow rate, changes in the residual urine. It leads the pack in retreatment rate. So it's got the lowest retreatment rate. And then it also le definitively leads the pack in lowest risk of having a catheter. So kind of across the board against its competitors, it's, it's pretty durable and I think leads the pack. That's great. You know, I've done quite a few at ITINs here in Austin. We've had very good results. If you're looking to be seen, if you're a candidate for it, I go to I, that's the letter I, TIND, T-I-N-D. This is not the kind of radio show in which we get any kind of uh, advertising dollars. This is uh, this is truly <laughs> just kind of, uh, yeah, dis despite all my uh, requests from Donna to start getting some. But, uh, but uh, despite that, this is just kind of our own experience. Ken, thank you so much for joining us uh, and giving us your insight. You're somebody who I have so much respect for. Uh, I appreciate your insight today. Hey, thanks so much. I, I really love being on it. Great to see you again. Go Baylor. <laughs> thank you, Ken. The Armor Men's Health Show is brought to you by NAU urology specialist. For questions or to schedule an appointment, please call 512-238-0762 or online at armormenshealth.com.